everybody. Blessings. We're actually starting a new series. Uh, this is a kind of continuation, or at least a picking up, of the opening theme that we started was Love Works, and they had a, this whole idea around loving God and loving others as a way of starting our year. Now we're actually getting ready to make a sort of a new journey together. And it's connected the idea of loving God but, and loving others, but it's, it's approaching it from a completely different um, sort of perspective. And it's really designed to get us prepared for what's going to be happening in about two months when we head into Easter. And I'm hoping that this series will get our hearts moving in a direction where some things are building as we join with people all over the world. Mill millions of people are going to be turning towards that point where we mark the moment of the Lord's death and resurrection and all that it means. This series is designed partly to get us there together. But you'll notice that it's called you know, Radical Choices. And of course, Jesus made the ultimate choice. But for us, we're actually looking at it through the lens of the life of the Apostle Paul. And some of us may recall, and you're, you're, if you have not a lot uh, been able to share in the previous series that we've done about Paul, we've called, we opened up with one called Radical Transformation. And we talked uh, last year about radical commitment. And we essentially traced his stunning conversion when he went from being this deeply uh, hateful man. Uh, uh, the chief opponent of the way of Jesus at, in the early church was Saul of Tarsus. And he personally led uh, you know, a group of people who were trying to imprison followers of what he believed was a false way, the way of Jesus. He had this stunning turnaround in his life where he goes from being the primary persecutor to someone who fully commits himself to becoming a follower of Jesus. And this man of amazing training, amazing pedigree, background of a Pharisee, um, trained so well in the scriptures, and a highly intellectual man turns the formidable force of his life towards the cause of Jesus. And he becomes part of a team of people who do what had not happened before. The early church had pretty much remained very closed. It had stayed predominantly as a, an expression within the Jewish community. Jesus was Messiah. That was their message. It was predominantly all Jewish leadership. All the disciples were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. But what happened was they had a burden to take this message beyond the borders of, of the places that had been safe. And they ended up talking about, in very serious ways, after, after some things had happened up north in Antioch, they talked about what it might mean to take this message of Jesus into the Gentile Roman world, the Greco-Roman world. And so we talked about what becomes known as the first missionary journey when we shared last time, and we sort of traced the, the steps of, of Paul through the book of Acts. And we're going to pick up with that. So part of what's happening here is we're re-engaging this first journey into these regions. The message of Jesus had never gone. It, a lot of it will be modern, what's modern-day Turkey today. And they took this message of Jesus, a, a two-man team. It started out as three, Paul, Barnabas, who had been a mentor to Paul, and a, another young man, John Mark, who turned back pretty early under the expedition. They take this message out. And we, we sat with that. We talked about it. Now we're kind of pick it back up. One of the things, though, you'll notice that is called radical choices. There's a sub-theme as well. It has to do with conflict and compromise. And so... Our goal is not only to prepare ourselves for Easter, just, just stay with me on this. This is important how we start. And it's not only to learn a lot about what the Bible teaches about how the church emerges and who Paul was, but it's also important for us to learn along the way and to be listening for the Lord's voice for our own lives. So much of our life has to deal, at times at least, let's put it that way, 
with problems that are related to relationships, to conflict. Um, some of us maybe even came into this time with some conflict that we were working through. Maybe there's some tension right now, even between people who love each other, there can be tremendous times of conflict, people who are close to. Not to mention the fact that a lot of us have work environments where conflict is a reality, where people are always asking us to take sides, where it's very easy to do that, where the art of compromise is something that's not easily learned. All of these, these sort of you know, issues are gonna become part of our discussion. In other words, the Bible is gonna hopefully have direct relevance to where a lot of us are, both our personal lives and in our workplace lives. And so, and in our friendships. But again, it's designed to have a, a parallel tract of learning and listening to the Lord's voice for our own life. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig further into this. I'm looking forward to sort of opening up. I think it's gonna be a great way to start that movement. And hopefully we'll make this journey together for the next few weeks and just kind of share and learn and grow together. But let me go ahead and pray. Ask God's blessing on the time that we have left here just sharing in his word. And Lord, I want to pray your blessing. I want to ask you to help us um, to not be in a hurry. I, you know, whatever else we've had already going on early in this day and whatever awaits us around the bend of, of this service and really into the next week, you know, I just pray that we would set those things aside as best as we can. We just, we just welcome you in. We, we've sang joyfully to you and hopefully we've enjoyed being together and in your presence together. But now... We come to learn and to hear. And I just pray that as we look back in time at some remarkable things that happened, that you would also be provoking things inside of us, reminding us of how to position ourselves for life's journey. And so I welcome your grace. I welcome your life. I welcome your strength to be among us, each one of us taking ownership of our own heart before you, um, choosing to hear you as honestly and as humbly as we can. I ask for your blessing. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Let it be. So, you know, it began with a thud. It's so funny. Early last service, I did that, and it flipped all the way off, and there was a lady going, because it, 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 it fell right at her feet. But it began with a thud. The first one landed at his feet. The second one a little closer third one hit him square. All of a sudden, Paul realized he was in real trouble. Rocks were being thrown at him. It, it, it started out not, not that way. Uh, he had come into the city of Lystra, and he had come in, and they had an amazing thing happen. It was, an, it was a healing in the city, and everybody initially was talking about how they were, they were like the embodiment of Zeus and Hermes, that, that they said Barnabas, his ministry partner, was Zeus. And they had a temple to Zeus in the city, on the outskirts of the city. They said Barnabas is, is Zeus and, and Paul, because he was doing all the talking, he's Hermes, his spokesman. And they said, you're gods, and we want to honor you and worship you. Only God has this power. And Paul and Barnabas, we know, what they did was they tore their garments, and they said, no, 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 no. We are not gods. We are here. Let us be clear. We are here only to present to you the message that has come from God. We are basically his messengers. His messengers, they started talking about Jesus. And it, it was, there was all kinds of a frenzied stir. People were saying, no, we want to sacrifice to you. You're the gods that have come down on human form. And they're saying, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're here to proclaim Jesus. We're here to talk about the God who created heaven and earth. While they're having this intense discussion that's taking place, we know that something else occurs. From the two previous cities that they had been to, one called Antioch, the city, or the other one called Iconium. A group, a, a, an organized mob 
one of which that had chased them out of one of those cities, literally with rocks flying at them, an organized mob at that precise moment as they were having this exchange with the people who wanted to worship them as gods, they joined in on the conversation. And this mob came in into this already intense situation and they were opposed fiercely to the message of Jesus and to Paul and Barnabas. And we don't know how it began, but somebody, somebody in that mob said, they're not gods, they're frauds, they're liars, they're false prophets. But somebody, and it happened, this is the way that people, this is the way that things happened. And they had, they had, they had, they were aware of it. But all of a sudden, when that first rock hit on the ground, the second one hit, they started flying. They came from different directions. And, the, and that mob set in, and that mentality set in. And all of a sudden, Paul was under a barrage it's important to remember because we read it and we go, oh, just, he was being stoned with rocks. We know that one, and again, I try to think about it, one, he, he must have immediately, we know, and we know that they were being thrown at, at Paul. Terror. Barnabas must have looked on with absolute terror. He was being excluded. They weren't throwing anything at him, but they were all throwing it at Paul, who no doubt had been talking and challenging the assertions. And when the rocks started flying, just again, I mean, he had to. There's no way. He had no, he had no shield, not, nothing to protect himself. You know, he just basically had to cower. If he's, the Bible doesn't describe the moment, but he had to cower. But, but one of them evidently hit him so hard. It, I don't know where it hit him, but it hit him, again, so hard that he, he literally crumples to the ground. He crumples to the ground, and they assume after a few more are thrown, that he's dead. So powerful was the blow. Everybody thought, even Barnabas did. And, they, and, and the Bible is very descriptive. It says they, the, the people started to scatter, but some of them grabbed him and drug, dragged him out of the city and left him thinking he was dead. We can imagine the, the small band of people who had been receptive to the message of Jesus and Barnabas kind of following along tenuously, being careful themselves, but at the same time wanting to see what had exactly had happened because it looked like Paul was dead. And that's where we pick up right here in the book of Acts, verses, verse 20 from Acts 14. And I want you to look at that with me. It says this, but as the believers gathered around him, he got up to everybody's dismay and utter shock. I mean, again, they're around him, Paul, 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 after everybody is scattered, maybe the Roman garrison had come and people were running, running and getting away from what was clearly a lawless, a lawless expression of violence. And Paul looked like he was dead. And it was, it was something that, that was absolutely astonished them when they realized that Paul actually was coming too. And no doubt he was bleeding. He had been beaten heavily. And it, Paul, Paul, you're alive. And they picked him up. And it says that the scripture says that they, they, they got him up. And then they started taking him back into town. Look what it says. It says the believers gathered around him. And he got up. And he went back into the town. And then, and then we're told... And again, the, we're just, it's described, it says the next day he, he, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now, I'm going to put up a little map again just to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about here. It's really good for us to, again, be aware that the Bible is talking about specific places, some of which are still in existence today. You see where Jerusalem is? That's still an epicenter of the world. It's through the Mediterranean Sea. If you go up north into a region even now that's all the time in the news, the, where they're, they're having war even as we speak in Syria... Antioch, which was the first true, amazing, uh, sort of unanticipated explosion 
of faith occurs in the great city of Antioch of Syria up to the north of Jerusalem. It was there, by the way, where you had for the first time large numbers of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, receiving Jesus as Savior. That had never happened before. So you had a mixed church of Jew and Gentile. Antioch had been the, the sending church. They were the ones that had the vision and believed that God wanted them to send a team. The first missionaries were sent out of Antioch. The first people who were ever called Christians were called Christians in Antioch. That became the center. That was the home church, the sending church of Paul and Barnabas when they went on their trip. Remember, they left, they went under, they, took, they set sail, they came under to Cyprus, they went to Cyprus, they had this exchange with Sergius Paulus, the Roman governor. Many people believed that it was the conversion of the Roman governor on the island of Cyprus, his name Sergius Paulus, that caused Paul at that point finally to make a determination to change his name from Saul to Paul. They continued up. John Mark goes back. Paul and Barnabas continue to sail. They sail towards Italia. You can see where that, that is, Italia on the coastline. They begin to make their way into the highlands of very difficult terrain, into these towns. Lystra, Iconium, Derby, these are 20 miles apart approximately. Each one of these places, they go to the synagogues. They take the message of Jesus. They talk to Jew and Gentile alike. They have a lot of different responses. <laughs> Nothing compared, however, to this, what occurred in, in Lystra. We know that Paul gets up, and the next day, we're told that he and Barnabas decide to make a journey to Derby. It was the last destination on their planned trip, almost two years in duration. They get to Derby, and look what it says happens. It says, preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples. You know what happened? Something that was quite different than what happened at Lystra. A number of people, a number of people actually decided to receive Jesus. They were receptive to the message of Jesus. And it says that many people not only opened up their heart, but they actually made a decision to follow him. And so th there was, on the heels of this just violent moment, comes this uh, uh, amazing moment of receptivity. And it was great. It was fantastic. And, and everybody, that would have been a perfect way to end the trip. Because, oh, do you see, the diff see where Derby is in relation to Antioch of Syria? Can you see that? It's just east and a little bit south, right? So the logical way to do it would have been, okay, we did it, we've accomplished it, why don't we just go ahead and we'll just go by land and right back to, to where we started. And yet what we're told is, and you can read it, and the Bible says it so simply. It says, Paul and Barnabas, notice, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. They, okay, I, I, you, I've read this so many times. I go, oh, yeah, okay, so they preached the good news in Derby, okay. made some disciples, yeah, and then Paul and Barnabas just returned to Lystra. Stop. Think about it. They were right there, could have taken a short way home, had every reason to say, the last place I'm going back to is a place where just a few days ago I was nearly killed on the streets of Lystra. I can imagine Barnabas saying, are you sure? I've been amazed. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, what kind of man gets beaten to a point where he is literally thought to be dead and then turns around and says, we're going back. And that's exactly what he did. Again, the Bible says it so modestly, so with such commonplace description that we almost miss the significance of what's actually happening. There's no way it wasn't on Paul's mind. Why do it? Come on. Call well enough. Leave it alone. Move on. You did your duty. Go home. Rest up. 
The amazing thing is that he must have felt, he and Barnabas must have felt that God wanted them to go back. They turned around, they went right back into it. Are you crazy? What kind of man does that? That's the point. You know, later on, you'll see this. I put this in the handout as well. See this in this little piece here in 2 Corinthians? 20 years later, Paul would write this. He wrote these words. Oh, by the way, he, you know why he wrote them? He wrote them because there were some people who were challenging his authority, his credibility as a true apostle. They were questioning him, saying, oh, he, he, he's not really who he says he is. Paul reluctantly feels compelled to defend himself at some level, at least to make a case for who he is. He doesn't want to do it, but these young believers, he feels, need to at least be, be given a response to the accusations that are being made against him. And so he says these words. He says, are they Hebrews? Some of the people who are accusing him. He says, so am I. Are, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? That is my seed, as my, my heritage as well. So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? They say, I'm not. I, he says, and then he says this, look at that. He says, you know, I know I speak as a fool. In other words, I probably shouldn't be saying this right now. It's not my intention to somehow lift myself up. I'm only saying this because I feel like I have to defend myself for your sakes. So he says, listen, if you want to get down to comparing with one another and how we've extended ourselves for Jesus, he says, I'm not trying to say this to make myself look good. I'm just being honest. He says, look at this. He says, I am more. I, in labors, I've been more abundant. I've worked hard. In stripes, I've suffered above measure. In prisons, I've been in, you know how many times I've been in prison for Christ? I've, I've been put at the point of death. You know how many times? Often, he says, and then he goes in and he makes this list. He says, you listen, from my own Jewish people, the leadership of some of the places that I've gone to, he says five times, I want, you know, do you know this? Five times I received stripes. I was whipped to the maximum the law would allow you to be whipped. 40 minus one, 39 times, five times this happened in my life because of my message of Christ. He says, what's more, three times I was beaten with rods. And then once I was, he says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, all right? Notice, what stands out as the singular piece here? He, even now, 20 years later, he's listing things. You know, five times I, I, was, I was 39 stripes I received. You know, three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. He, then he says, but there was one time. There was even one time. In this list of things, he says, there was one time. I even now remember it. My body bears, bears the reminders of it. One time, I was, I was stoned. He remembered it. Vividly remembered this. Vividly remembered it. It stood out to him. And it, that, that is the moment at, of what happened in the Lister. And now he's saying to Barnabas, days afterwards, because that was such a, a violent trauma, Again, we, th we read about it. We don't appreciate that amount of what happened to him. And he basically says, you know what? We got to go back. All these young believers that have accepted Jesus. We, we, we went the first time through all of these cities. We went there and we, we were doing basically evangelism. We were telling people about how Jesus is Messiah. We were asking them to accept him. Barnabas, we've got to go back. Back exactly the route we came in. And every place that we planted, a little group of people who decided to follow Jesus, we need to help them be established as followers of the Lord. We need to help them become churches and give them some kind of form 
that are otherwise just totally on their own. Look what it says here. It says that, that Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. Look at that. They encouraged them to continue in the faith. It's one thing to start. It's another thing to continue. And to enter and, and reminding them that they must suffer hardships, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> that it will not always be easy. Can you imagine the first time if you're a new believer and you saw what you saw happen to Paul and then all of a sudden the word comes back, you're not going to believe it. Paul and Barnabas are back in town. And he would say, are you, are you crazy? Why would they do that? Would, they're back in town. They want to talk to us. They want to talk to us. And then can you imagine being in a small room with, in a house perhaps, most likely, sitting there and you're looking at Paul and you can see the residue. You can see he's got bruises and, and he's, been, he's got wounds on his body. And he's sitting there saying to you, Jesus gave everything for us. He calls us into a life of courage. There are even times where we may even suffer for him. And then you're listening to those words and you're looking at the man who is the very epitome of the thing that he's saying. You know how inspiring that was? It says they went on from each town they went to. They decided to appoint, look at verse 22, elders, leaders in every church. They prayed, they fasted to get the clarity. And they, and they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Because you've got to understand, think about this for a moment. This is a very entrepreneurial thing that they're doing. They start these little communities, little believing communities, churches. They don't have any means of keeping in contact with them. Not really. It's not like they can call them, talk to them, Skype them, nothing. There's no quick transportation, no driving. No, no, it's like they start a believing community. They don't even have a new, these people don't even have a New Testament. We have one. It was still being formed. They have, they have uh, the Older Testament that speaks of Messiah Jesus. That was the Bible that they were working with. Uh, they have this message of Jesus that they've been given. Paul's given and Barnabas have given them some basic idea. But now they're, they're being given additional teaching. And then they're being told, look, we, are, we don't know how long it's going to be before or if we ever will exactly make it back. We're, we're recognizing, we believe that God has given some of you to call some of you to be leaders. You do the best that you can. You start, they, and they basically say, we commend you to God, and, and we're going to have to go. And, that's, and they're, they're almost like they're leaving them all these, again, we forget. There was no organizational structure. There was no organized communication. It was like we're leaving you into the hands and the providence of God. May God be with you and grow you. And we have to go. And they went from the next town, the next town, to all the way they get back to where? They get all the way back to the port of Talia, right? And then they get on a ship. And that ship that they would have boarded was going to carry them all the way back to Antioch, where, they, where their home church was. And everyone should have one. And when they were on it, and I, I found myself slowing down. I thought, wow, almost two years they have been out there. And now they're coming, to the, getting on that boat. And I imagine, because again, we say, oh, it went from the, they took a ship to, from Italia to, now they went on one of the most beautiful, imagine for a moment, Paul and Barnabas getting onto the ship, and they board. And those waters, even though our map is green, those waters, I assure you, are very blue. And they're the blue waters of the Mediterranean. I imagine in my mind's eye, Paul, still recovering, but nonetheless extraordinarily inspired. Perhaps he walked outside onto that boat, as any of us would have done, on that ship. The blue, azure blue waters, sun perhaps shining, of a breeze. And he walked out there, and maybe he put his hands on a rail like this and thought for the first time in a long time, 
I remember back, maybe his mind starts drifting back to those heady days when he was a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee of Pharisees, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, a rising star, respected and even feared, and how his life had been radically altered by Jesus and brought him to this place. But maybe in his mind's eye, he drifted back to another moment, a moment we know he was at that's recorded in Acts 7, where he, as a, as a Pharisee, was standing and watching with smug approval and perhaps an even hidden delight as a frenzied group of fanatics who had been his friends and associates rallied a mob of people to go after another young leader, a follower of the way who was not backing down, a young man or a man named Stephen. In Stephen's case, they took rocks as well. And although Paul never saw, never lifted one, his approbation, his approval was so evident. And when they pummeled Stephen to a point of death, to where he finally dies, beaten with these rocks, he maybe as he thought of his own wounds and what it had, he knew what it was like. Maybe the irony, all oh, stunning that Stephen, the one that he had watched die under a pile of stones, now he had experienced the very same thing for the same cause. Who could have seen it? Who could have envisioned it? And then maybe he wonders, Lord, why did you take Stephen home and spare me? What is it that you're doing? I don't understand your ways. Does Stephen know Lord, maybe does he know even what's happened? Does he know that I've carried on his work, this work that he was so willing to give his life for, I too was willing to give my life for, and for some reason you spared my life. But this message that he gave, it is now sprouting and harvesting in places no one could have anticipated. Not him. I wonder if he knows that, Lord. And as he, as he enjoyed that brief respite of that journey back, back to the port, we're told that when he gets to the, back to the city, look what it says happens. It says, finally... They returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. And the believers there, I love this phrase, had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Basically, they hadn't heard from them from about two years. And I love the phrase. It's a great phrase. That, the, the, that had entrusted them to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. There's something about when we entrust someone, and I, I do this all the time, I, I'll say this to my, I, you know, may God's grace be with you. I may not see you for a while. May God's grace be with you. May God's grace cover you. I entrust you to, they had no ability to communicate. They had no ability. For them, they didn't even know really what happened. They had a little bit of news from John Mark when he returned. But beyond that, all they knew is that they were heading into the, into the high country in, in what was now at that time Asia Minor, and who knew what would happen to them? Who knew if they would be received? Who knew if they would even come back? Now the news was out. Hey, did you hear the news? Paul and Barnabas have just returned. They've just arrived. Okay, they've gotten here. They have been entrusted. We had sent them out with the blessing of God, all of us believing that God was in this, that, that he wanted them to go. 
and, and, and take this message out. And we would find out what would happen. We all believed it. We sent them out with the grace of God, and now they've come home. And they're, and they're going to tell us everything that happened. They're going to re relay. They've, they've asked all the church to gather together and to hear about exactly what had taken place. And that's the picture we're given. Look at it. It says, upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church, look at verse 27, together, and they reported, they reported everything that God had done through them. This is fantastic. Everything that God had done through them and how he had opened up the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And then they stayed there with the believers for a long time. So they proceeded to share the details of their mission, the amazing things that God had done. Specifically, they said, we want to tell you about how God, and let the phrase speak, how he has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Brothers, we're, we all want to know, were there many challenges? Yes, there were, there were a few. Were there, were, there, were there difficulties? Did you guys experience a lot of resistance? I imagine Barnabas. Yes, we did. Paul almost died. Paul almost died. I thought he was dead. When we were at Lystra, he was stoned to a point where they had to drag him out of the city because they thought he was dead. Yes, we did experience resistance. But then he says, but, but, no, but the bigger issue is this. Look at it. Look how, look what God has done. Do you understand what God has done? God has opened the door of faith. The key is, and we want everybody to know this, all of you to know this, that God has swung open a door, a door of faith to the Gentiles, that this message has gone forth in ways that we could have never envisioned. He's flung that door open wide. How good is that? That's where they put the emphasis. Now, I have a few things for us to think about and sit with just in the few minutes that we have left. And I, want to, I want to apply it to our own life. Here it is. Let's put this up there. I want you to think about it. Firstly, there are going to be times, listen, when following Christ is going to require us to go back into the fray when a part of us wants to call it a day or even run away. There are going to be times where the Lord is going to require us to step into something that we want to run away from. And that might be, might be times when the Lord is really asking us to risk taking the long journey home instead of the shortcut. Sometimes his will for us is to go back into the thing that we want to run away from and deal with it and to be courageous and to let our faith be strong. Paul, you can't do that. That's crazy stuff. You can't do that. You've already got out of that thing. You know, there's always going to be things that you and I are going to want to run away from. Run away from. They might be things that are external. They might be things that are actually going on inside of us. Um, it might have to do with our own, some own issues that we would rather ignore. And honestly, the easier thing would be to avoid it. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't have the energy. But you know what? The problem is, and it's the good problem, when we actually start getting close to God, we start listening. We sense the Lord calling us to go back to Lystra. Go back and deal with this. Go back into your place of fear. Do not be afraid. Trust me now. You trust me then. Trust me now. You hear me? There are times where God will call us to do that. Was that not the example that we were given by our leader? Was it not Jesus who, when the cross was before him, instead of turning away, which he said a part of him wanted to do, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me? There was a part of him that wanted to turn away from the cross, but instead he pivots and he goes right into it. 
steadfastly setting his face towards Jerusalem, knowing everyone would abandon him, knowing the utter humiliation. He turns instead and goes into the cross when there was a, every part of him said, run away, and he wouldn't do it. He went into the fray because he loved God and he loved us. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are going to be times where the Lord is going to call us to be courageous. I was thinking about Jim Elliott, the, the missionary, who basically felt a call to take the message of Jesus, just like Paul and Barnabas, to a place where he had never gone. And he had written in his journal some things about what he was risking. And because we know what happened to Jim Elliott, he ends up giving his, basically he ends up dying. He's killed. He's murdered. And many of the people who killed him ultimately came to follow Jesus. But in his diary, he wrote something that has lived on for, gener for really for decades now, for a couple of generations. And I put that in your handout as well. It's just a little quote with an in the arrow. But Jim Elliott said these words that still apply. He said, he is no, no fool, I love this, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll put it another way. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. There are times where the Lord will call us to really, really embrace this truth. I, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I am going to trust you with my life. I am. I, I'll take that and flip it over one more time. Put this up. This is the second thing to think about. It's this, you guys. Look, just spiritual courage. And there are times, this is number two, spiritual courage sometimes is going to focus more on what, this is how I see it, usually on what focuses more on what God is doing than on the difficulty that's being experienced. You want to know one of the secrets to having a lively, vibrant life in Jesus? Do this. Choose to place your accent on the right places. Life will present us with things. We will always have areas to be aggrieved about. We will always have reasons to be offended. We may even feel forsaken. There are always going to be things that hurt us, disappoint us. There are always going to be wounds in life. That's just a fact. And there are times where that's going to happen. I, what, I, what I realized as I was looking at this, I was going, Lord, the, when they were asked, okay, tell us what happened. They didn't lead out with, oh, man, you know what? There were some couple of good things that happened. Some people received Jesus. But as a whole, oh, man, we were, we were, it was just relentlessly difficult. I mean, imagine what Paul and Barnabas would say. said, you know, I mean, we, we, we just kept getting beat up, threatened. We, we lived in constant fear and paranoia. Paul even got stoned you know, stone with rocks to the point where he was basically dead. You know what? Yeah, some good things happened, but man, there was so much bad stuff. I don't think we're ever going to go back there again. Now, we look, I'm saying, I say that, and I say, let's be honest. Where did they say? They said, yeah, there were some bad things that happened. No doubt about it. It was real. Paul, Paul will tell you it was real. His body even now bears the mark of it. But I'm going to tell you something. God did an amazing thing, and he's still doing it. He swung open that door. That's where their accent was. That's where they chose to put it. It was a choice. Where do we put the accent? We put it on what God is doing. And a lot of times, you and I will be in these places in life where we're going to get to choose. What are we going to focus on? The thing that isn't working, the offense that we have, the hurt, the, whatever it is that we have. Listen, our own failure can be a point of focus. Can't do it. Can't do it. You say, but look at what God's been doing. Look at his grace in your life. Look at what's happening in people around. Come on. Where's the accent going? 
Last thing we'll say about it is this. We'll end with this. Is that enduring difficulty and hardship? Listen, that's what often actually brings the victory in the spiritual life. What does Paul say? You know what? Actually, it was through the hard things that we actually got the breakthrough. Just being honest. It was a hard thing. Through many difficulties and hardships, one enters into the kingdom. He says, you know what? That was actually the avenue for us, a breakthrough. How many times do we say this, that it's in the valley of the shadow when we really feel the, the true presence of the Lord? Shadow of death is upon me. That oftentimes it's when we're at our, at our most challenging place, through many dangers, as the old hymn says, many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Right? There are these moments when the Lord will say, I'm actually forming you in the furnace. And even in the furnace of your failure, I can form you. I can form you. Some of us are being, are, the Christ is being formed in us. And if we allow him, if we allow him to do it, it and, and, and don't quit. Here's the thing. When you walk through, some of us, we have walked through the door of faith. That's the, we walked through it. We made a decision. If we have walked through the door of faith, don't stop walking. Keep going. Paul would later say, I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not allowing my emotions or the swings of how life deals things to me to define my faith in God. No, sir. My faith is formed in him. You know what Paul would later say? He didn't say, that, he didn't say I was just when I started to follow Jesus, this happened miraculously. He would later say, I have learned to be content. Years later. He would say, actually, you know what? I've learned to stay in love with Jesus even when I've been abounding, when I've had a lot of things going my way and I've felt very successful. He goes, because you know what? Abounding has its own temptations. When, you, when things are going great, we can sometimes forget God. We feel very secure with our own needs. Sometimes we feel like, I don't really need God that much. Now, we might not say it, but that's how we're living. But then Paul says, not only have I learned to abound and not forget him, but I have learned how to suffer and be totally abased, utterly humiliated, and also not become embittered to him. I've learned how to be content. I tell you, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Up, down, it doesn't matter. Whatever life throws, I move with it. But I'm, I'm, I'm centered in my place with him. So when we, those of us who've walked through the door of faith, let's keep our faith alive in God. It's not allow, not allow it to be dependent on whether or not things are going great or not. That's not the point. Trust him. When we walk through the door, keep walking. And for those of us who've come to this door, and we're so close, I mean, we are literally that close to taking the step into the door. Confess, believe, confess, and be baptized. Make your heart known to him. Speak life. I believe. Receive me, Jesus. I mean, the door of faith is open. For those of us who have walked through it, and we say some of us here, we might have been walking for a long time. Keep walking. Don't quit. Stay vibrant. Stay alive. Don't get stuck. For those of us who are in the opening stages, don't get, don't get beat up and, and, and give up when things don't go the way we wanted them to go. Hold your line. Keep walking by faith. I'm going to go and pray. Ask God bless it. Lord, I'm going to... I want to ask you to just let this word settle into our hearts. And we're going to close. We're going to close with our song, our, our time of giving. But I want to ask you, Lord, to really allow some of this to permeate in our own hearts. I just really ask that you would help us to be courageous people and to not to be afraid of things, uh, things that you're asking us 
to challenge or to, to deal with or to confront. Following you at times will involve risk, and it may actually be scary at times to do the right things. But I pray that you will help us. And I pray that you would give us courage to just keep walking. As we walk through that door of faith, let us keep doing it. Let us keep running this race well. Let us not be a people whose faith is dependent on emotional swings and, and uh, you know, things going our way. Uh, when we see that sometimes what, it's not always that easy, sometimes it's costly, it's okay. You are with us, and you do amazing things, and we choose to trust you. We put the accent right on your faithfulness, Lord. And for those of us, again, who are right on the edge, I just pray that you would stir our hearts to make the decision we'll never regret in our lives. Because to follow you, oh, the one who finds you, Lord, you taught us this. It's like one who finds a pearl of great price and sells everything they have to obtain it. How good is that? How good you are. What a blessing. So I pray for your blessing over each and every one of us. And this is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.